Uh, we're going to continue in our, our Matthew teaching series. We're, we're really coming to the end. We're, we're close. It's, it's, it's right there, the end of Matthew today. We're really going to be in, in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to walk through some of these final moments. It's, it's the final countdown in so many ways. And, and uh, really, if, if we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 27, the, the place we need to start is actually Exodus. I know that's exactly what you're expecting. Exodus chapter 26 is where we're going to begin. And, and I'll try to connect these points, but I'm not too concerned if they don't. Um, you guys remember the Exodus. God's people have been enslaved. God comes and sends Moses and, you know, the whole uh, Charlton Heston, let my people go. They march out of Egypt and crossing reed seas, and, and then God leads them into where? Wilderness. He guides them by fire at night and, and cloud by day. They see his, 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 his smoke. Sometimes he resides way up high on a mountain, and when the smoke or the cloud would cover the mountain, they knew that God was there, but there's this interesting thing that happens in the wilderness. It, it's, it, it's, it's a time of testing, but it's not a time of punishment. It's for God, the wilderness becomes a time of relationship. In the wilderness, God is teaching his people to rely on him for everything, and in this relationship moment, God is on a mountain. His people are in a valley. God says, that's too far away. I need to be closer. He wants to be nearer. And so he gives his instructions, and Exodus records this. He says, I want you to build me a temple. I, I want it to be, be right in the center. And in this temple, there's going to be lampstands and altars and, and even the you know, raiders of the lost ark. That's going to be in there. And God says, I, I just, I, I, I want to be nearer to my people. And I don't know if you, you know this, but uh, the first temple, a tabernacle, was, was a tent. It was a large, uh, a, a large tent. And the favorite spot, if you were a child of God, if you were a person of Israel in that time, the favorite, the favored campsites for you and your family were as near to the tent as you could get. But in this temple, there is another part that uh, I need to introduce you to. It, it talks about it in Exodus chapter 26. Look what it says, uh, beginning of verse 30. God has given them instructions. He says, set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen decorate it with blue and purple and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood and overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases and hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So uh, I'm excited today. Uh, uh, I, I actually brought you, uh, uh, it's a miniature, but an exact, archae archaeologically exact replica of the curtain. All right, so I want you guys to see this. Uh, take it, it looks just like this. 
Oh. This is exactly what it looked like. Hey, Nathaniel, will you come up here and hold one side for me? Awesome. He needs encouragement. Good job. All right. And Josh, you want to come hold the other side? All right. I know Josh loves to be on stage. Here we go. All right. So, no, it's, it's not exact. Can I actually stand on that side? Thank you. You guys hold that up for everybody to see. Just, just imagine with me the curtain in the temple. Um, the curtain in the temple when we get to Jesus' time is much bigger. The tabernacle is a tent, but Solomon says, I can do better than a tent, and he builds the first temple. But Herod later... Herod the Great, Herod says, I'm going to build my temple, and it's going to be even better than Solomon's. And by the time of Herod, the temple is, he levels the top of a mountain to build his temple on. And he builds it with the same instructions, the, the, in the middle, separating the holy place from the most holy place. The thing that separates God from everything else was a, was a multicolored uh, curtain. It had cherubim on it. Don't think of... Uh, uh, and Gettys, or don't think of little uh, cupids with arrows. A, a cherubim, it means near one, but was probably a body of a lion and the head of a man, the wings of an eagle. The curtain in Herod's temple in the time of Jesus, I, I want you to picture this. Uh, our wall, our ceiling here is about 18 or 20 feet. The curtain in Herod's temple was 60 feet high. It was 40 feet wide and it was the thickness of a hand's breadth. It was four inches thick. So imagine a curtain that's that thick, 60 feet high and 40 feet wide. Some of the evidence we found, it says that to make a curtain that separates the holy place, that separates God from us, it took 82 young women were, were capable of making two in a year. The curtain weighed between four and six tons. That's a lot of fabric. That's a big sewing machine. It says that three, it took 300 priests to raise it into place. And this is the curtain that shall separate you from the most holy God. And in this curtain dwelled all of the presence of God. I told you the Raiders of the Lost Ark is in there. That's really God's footstool. They knew when God was, was in the temple or when he was out of it, this was, this was his place. But, but there was a problem because still only one person once a year on the Day of Atonement could go into the curtain and make sacrifices for the sins of everyone. On, on one day of year, the high priest could go in and he would make a sacrifice for all of the people. But this is, a, this is an awkward relationship. Remember, God is trying to get closer to his people. He's come down from his mountain. He's actually come into the temple. Like, like he, he wants to be nearer to us, but, but this is kind of awkward relationship because, uh, I, I don't know, think of it this way. Like, what's your, what's your dream concert? If you could hear, if you could go see anybody, dead or alive, who would you go see in concert? Who would you go see? Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Somebody else, who would you go see? Guns and Roses. How do you know Guns and Roses? 
GNR, okay? Somebody else, you guys would be way too shy now. You're like, what one can I say in church? Uh, Elvis Presley. Madonna, okay. Beatles. Somebody's trying to tell me that Fred is not here today. Fred's always trying to tell me the Beatles are the greatest band ever. And I'm not, I'm not believing it. Um, our, uh, uh, our office assistant, I asked her, her name is Hazel. I asked her, I said, man, if you could go to anybody, who, if you could go see anyone, who would you go see? And she said, I actually, I just bought tickets for Josh Groban. Josh Groban is coming. And I said, I have no idea who that is. Like, like I, I know, I know. Pray for me. Sinner. So imagine, anyway, anyway, come back, come back to the story. Um, uh, imagine the person, guys, that's the holy, hold that up, be proud. Yeah. So imagine you, you buy tickets to, to hear your favorite artist of all time, right? You, you, I mean, you're paying money, you got to deal with parking in downtown Nashville, you know, like you're, you, but you're going through all the different emotions of, man, I'm finally going to get to see Josh Groban. And you get there, you get in the stands, you know, they never start on time, it's 30 minutes late, but finally, like, the lights dim, and you're like, oh, this is it. This is it. He's about to come out on stage, and instead of Josh Groban comes just, just like one of, the, one of the sound tech guys, just comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if I, if I could just have your attention here for a second, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, we're, we're just, we're, we're having a, a malfunction. Uh, our curtain is not working. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, Josh Groban is still going to sing He's still going to do his whole thing. He's just going to do it behind the curtain. And, and we've got a little bit of room, so we'll take one of you. Everybody else, you guys just stay out here. Enjoy the show. How would you feel? Yeah, like this, is, this, would, be, this would be an awkward relationship. And I want you to know, like, even when God was building the tabernacle and giving them the instructions, like, like, this was not the relationship that God wanted. God's desire was to be near his people, like a, in a garden together. And this curtain became a, a symbol of separation. So, what is God to do? Fast forward to Matthew chapter 27. The chief priests and the elders have put their plan into motion. Judas ugh, betrays Jesus with a kiss. And all the disciples, it says, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, all the disciples desert him. There's an interesting section in chapter 27. I just want to move through some of this. You can, you can read it on your own a little bit later. Matthew chapter 27 Judas is, is, uh, is almost kind of redeemed here. He's, he's actually filled with remorse and confesses and, and tries to undo what he's done. But ultimately, it cost him his life. Jesus is brought before Pilate. The Jewish high priest, they, they can't execute anyone. They, they can't give an execution order. So they get Pilate to try to do it for them. Pilate is the bad guy. He's the, he's the Roman guy, the Roman governor. 
He questions Jesus, and really Jesus makes no reply. And Pilate says, you know, it's, it's part of the, the custom for us in Passover week to release one prisoner. Why don't you let me release Jesus? But the plotters and betrayers are in the crowd, and instead they call for a known criminal named Barabbas. It's an interesting scene that Matthew includes. It says that Pilate's own wife has a dream about Jesus and his innocence. And Pilate's wife actually tries to convince Pilate, says, man, this, this guy is innocent. So Pilate releases Barabbas to the crowd and he asks in this, this incredible general question, but, but a, a, a question for us too. He says, what should I do with Jesus? Remember the crowd's response. They cried out two words, crucify him. And Pilate says, man, I am innocent. He washes his hands. So I wash my hands of this. I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And the people say, we'll take it. Jesus is flogged and beaten in the most graphic way you could imagine, he's, he's stripped of his clothing. He's, uh, his clothes are, are, are pulled off and replaced with a, a, a scarlet robe, and a thorn, thorn branches for a crown. They struck him. They put a cross on him, but he can't, he can't even bear it. And so they force a man named Simon from the crowd to carry Jesus' cross, and they march him to this place outside of this city, the, a place of shame and disgrace. It's called the place of the skull. And beginning with his hands, they nail Jesus to the cross and raise him for all to see, and they place a sign above his head, naming him as the king of the Jews. And you think that would be enough, but the leading priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, they gather around him and mock him and condemn him. It strikes me as incredibly ironic, but, but they shout out, Matthew includes that they shout out, he saved others, but he can't save himself. They don't know that he gave himself to save others. And then it says, uh, I want to read this next part in verses, verse 45 through 54. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. And the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. 
And the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, remember the fundamental question of Matthew is who is Jesus? The officer said, this man truly was the son of God. So did you catch it? Did you catch the Exodus reference right there in the middle? Let me show you again. In verses 50 and 51, here's what it says. It says, Jesus shouted out again. He released his spirit. He says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary, the 60-foot high, 40-foot wide, 4 inches wide, 5-ton curtain that separated God from man was torn in two from top to bottom. So why don't you guys go ahead and demonstrate that for me? Uh, let's tear, uh, let's tear our curtain. See if you can. Oh, I know you can do this. I feel like they need some encouragement. I started it for you. You can do it, Nathaniel. You pull your side. You pull this side. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Almost torn completely. <laughs> Come on, let's get two pieces out of it. Come on. Oh, it's coming. Look. There we go. All right, take it and give him a seat. Go take a seat. You can. That's your prize for the day. Messing up my artifacts up here. The curtain in the sanctuary, the multiple ton, 60 foot high, was torn in two. Do you think people heard it? Think it made a sound? And when they heard it, do you think they asked, what does this mean? What has happened? Does, it mean, does this mean that God is angry with us? Does it mean that, that maybe God has deserted us? Now, remember what it said in Exodus, the curtain shall separate you from the most holy God. Hebrews in his commentary of, of all of this says in chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, look, at, look what he says. He says, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that was, had been necessity necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, but ever since the world began. But now, once, for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Hebrews says Jesus is the new high priest and he doesn't just enter the temple, he enters the throne room of God himself. And, and he is not just the high priest, like, like he, he doesn't have to do this year after year after year. But he's appeared once and for all to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
You see, God created us in his image. We are designed and destined to be with him, and God's greatest desire is to be with us. And what had kept us from being with God was was not that we were human and God was not. It was that we were sinful and God was not. It is the corruption of our desires, pride and selfishness, anger and fear and lust. These are the things that had separated us from God, kept us from being in his presence. It is a barrier made not of tons of fabric and fancy sewing, but it it was a barrier of our own brokenness. And with the sacrifice of Jesus, this massive, giant, overwhelming barrier between us and God is destroyed. So now he has granted us access. The next question should be, okay, the, the way is open, the door is open. Who's in? Recently, we talked about this idea from Matthew chapter 26. Like, like who's in? Peter, he's so good. Oh, but wait, he denied Jesus. What about Judas? He was one of Jesus' disciples. No, no, they, that was not a good choice. And it says, if you look in Matthew 26, every one of his disciples deserted him. Romans tells us that all have sinned. The disciples deserted. Billy Graham has sinned. Mother Teresa sinned. So who's, who's worthy to go in? Like the way is open, but, but who gets in? And the reality is like, like it doesn't matter what you've done or how unworthy you may feel. There is a God who, who loves you and who is desperate to restore, restore something that has been lost between you and him. You remember the verse our kids read that uh, they recited for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that those who believe in him may not perish but have life. All have sinned. None are worthy. Yet through Jesus Christ, we all have access. The way is open. When you guys say that, the way is open. Say it again. The way is open. Do you believe that? And it's open for everyone. But here's a tough moment, and we're going to get here next week if you come back for Easter. The way is open. We have but to go through it. And Jesus is going to, Jesus, our model, our example, is going to show us how to enter into the presence of God again. As in all things, Jesus is going to show us the way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. He says, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Is that you? Are you living in this world with, without God, and without hope? Are you far away? Do you sense a distance between you 
and God. I have good news for you. God no longer lives behind a curtain. But through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the way has been opened. And it's open for you today. Will you enter? Will you approach the Holy One and find life? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and for the example of Jesus. Father God, let us, let us soak in his actions this week. Um, draw him closer, help him to be, help us to be closer to him. And Father God, help us as we enter into this time of communion to, to consider and to think about the things that uh, create distance between us and you. Father God, what are the things that, that keep us out of your presence, that keep us from your presence? What's the sin, Father God, that we haven't confessed, that we haven't repented of? And Father God, I, I, I pray that you would help us to release all of those things, to recognize that through your son, Jesus Christ, the way has been opened for us and all of our sins are washed away once and for all, that you've created an, an open door access to you through your son, Jesus Father God, I pray that you would help us to enter in. If we've been, if, if maybe someone in here has been without God or without hope or feeling far away, then Father God, I, I pray that, that you would release them from their sin and draw them near. That you would finish what you started. Father God, draw us into your presence. Help us to follow the life and the example of Jesus Christ even in giving our own lives to you. We love you. Bless us as we enter into this time of communion together. And everyone together says, amen. amen.